Sierra Oscar to all units, urgent message. Reports of an IC1 male loitering suspiciously outside Undertelly Studios. Approach with caution if sighted. Oh wait, it's DCI Warren Powell. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, I've just taken the night off today, off duty, so... Um... Oh, glad I realised it was you, Warren, otherwise I'd have to nick you. <laughs> Terrible Cockney accent. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, let's not do that again. Good to be practising your accent, obviously, um, <laughs> overseas, you'll, uh, you'll need that when you get there. Yes, exactly right, exactly right. It's a very special episode of Undertelly, so thanks so much for joining us, DCI Pal, <laughs> because this is our very first ever international special on Undertelly. Wow, mm. cool. So we're thrilled to have a proper Englishman to take us on this very exciting <laughs> journey through the cobblestone streets of Sun Hill. Fantastic. I have kind of lost the gore-blimey accent, so I'll, I'll try my best market stall. Uh, me, but. <laughs> I'm sure it'll come back in no time. Yes, yeah, right. it won't be an issue. <laughs> All right, Warren. Well, let's do it. You're listening to Undertelly with Oleg Novak, Mount Cola's fastest-growing Aussie TV podcast. So today, Warren, we're going to be looking back at some of our favourite areas of the bill. Before we continue and look back at a few classic episodes, I thought I'd a bit of a surprise. I thought we'd play a bit of a game to get into it. All right. So fingers on your buzzers. <laughs> fingers on your buzzers, indeed. <laughs> the game is called Name That Accent. Whoa. Okay. Excellent. So it's pretty <laughs> self-explanatory. Rendition of these. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's for there's such a, a small island, there are countless <laughs> accents. I know. I know. And UK. like, I haven't told you, Warren. This is actually this isn't actually a podcast about the bill. It's my audition to be a game show host. So right. let's see how it goes. <laughs> Pretty self-explanatory. You get one point for guessing the, where the accent comes from, and a bonus point for guessing which <laughs> character it is in the bill. Fantastic. Because the bill was really a 30-year um, celebration <clears throat> of the diversity of accents <laughs> in the United Kingdom. Yeah, I love it. Okay. I was looking forward to you and doing impressions of every bill character. Oh, that's not going to happen. Maybe <laughs> that can happen when we grab a drink after we finish recording. Okay. <laughs> Okay, number one. It's the docker, he just put the chair down, please. Look, we just keep this calm, talk it through. No one needs to get hurt. Oh my God, I mean, obviously that's Polly. There's no, no one more cockney than Polly. You can't even say Polly without saying Polly. <laughs> um, oh bless. Yeah, if it's not Polly, it's definitely one of the cockney contingent. She's just the ultimate. Cockney. It's Polly, yeah, two points. Go. Very good. Next one is perhaps light. Actually, no, the second one for a true bull fan like yourself should be quite easy as well. Look, this morning, I wasn't fit to deal with a pickpocket. Now you want me to run a murder inquiry? That's a Yorkshire accent. Very good. Probably a West Yorkshire accent. And I think, um, I, I know I can see his face, but I can't remember his name. Is it um, Bolton? Ooh, no, but I think you're about to say the correct one. He's also got the same rank as you, DCI pal. Yeah, yeah, he would be one of my cohorts, of course. <laughs> Yeah, Jim, it's not, Jim. Well, I want to call him Jim, but he's not Jim. No, sorry. DCI Jack Meadows. Jack Meadows, of course. Of course. Yes. Who was one of, I think, one, he was definitely one of the uh, longest serving characters. And because he started in 1990, I think, then he became a regular in 1992. And then he was eventually promoted to superintendent and the final chief of the station for the final years of the bill as well. Good um, rise to um, through the ranks, right? Exactly right. He was great because he wore the detective Mac that you know the old school police detectives would have worn in the seventies. He's fantastic. That sort of long beige Mac. The Mac. Oh long yes. Sort of, sorry, a, a, a long raincoat. Um, I was going to ask. What's a Mac? 
Indeed, I've never referred it, never heard uh, it referred to as a Mac. That's a, I should know as a true Bill fan. That <laughs> yeah, it's a, a Flash's Mac. You know, the Flash would wear it in the uh, past. Because <laughs> that is, you know, how I asked you one of the things you think of when you think of the Bill. I can make you a big long list, but that is one of them. When I think back to the Bill of the '90s, it's always like Tosh lines, etc., in that big long beige. Absolutely, trench coat. and they were because that was a nod to the sort of detective series of the '60s and '70s. It was, I think it was. Again, regulation uniform for those to wear. Oh, they look great. To wear those. Having a look at some of the old episodes, Tosh Lyons, he looked out of place in the 90s. He still looked like he was in the 70s. It was quite <laughs> funny when you look back at him. He was great. He was a great character. Mm. So, next one. Yeah, you. You think Sheila would have given me the third degree without you mixing it? I've had my bite of the cherry. It was there in my hands and you weighed in. Now, this is your last chance. Get out! Liverpudlian accent, Scouser, so he's from Liverpool. Uh, and very he's uh, Reg Hollis's um, offsider. Uh, very angry. Very angry. Was One of the angriest men in TV of the early All 2000s. The <laughs> Always shouting. <laughs> uh, and I think his name was Dave. He started off well, Des. 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 Thanks. You PC mean... Des Tavener. PC Des Tavener. Yeah, I remember him. I just remember him very angry. No, no, that is all good. You're getting all the accents right. <laughs> I told this you, one. there's lots of them, but I would much rather have heard you do a Scouser accent. <laughs> Trust me, you don't. <laughs> okay, the next one, this one you will get. You've got to get hold of yourself quick. Otherwise, it won't be MS-15 coming for you. It'll be the boys on a funny farm. What's the suit? Um, Burnside. Absolutely. <clears throat> uh, and he's London as they come, really. I mean, my goodness. That, that voice was all part of the, you know, you wouldn't mess with Burnside, right? Burnside was fantastic. He the most intense eyes, but also he was just so <laughs> charismatic to watch. Christopher Ellison, who played him, was brilliant. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, I believe they spawned a, um, a spin-off series, if I'm not wrong. Yes. So he was one of those strong characters that was strong enough to withhold his own series, which is interesting. You never saw the spin-off series. Did mm. you see it was? No, no. I don't know if it, I think it may have only run for one season, unfortunately. But nice okay. idea. <laughs> Well, let's see if you can get the next one. I'd like you all to consider the possible consequences of what you did. We all know that Sergeant Cryer would never sexually harass a female officer. But what happens when you start blabbing about it down the pub, which I know you did? Yeah, that's June Ackland, of course. I wonder where she's from. I'll be honest, I think her, her accent's a little softer, that she might not have been London, London proper. Mm. I think she's probably more home counties, roughly maybe where I'm from, but maybe south of London, but I might be wrong. Interesting. Don't actually know, but I'm no expert in... Oh, I thought you had the other quiz master. Don't you have the answer? Oh. <laughs> Look, I did, in, in fairness, I mm. did try, and I got as far as the first three, and then ran out of time. So <laughs> <laughs> I assumed that you'd be an expert on that, oh, so I yeah. that's a failure I, on my part. Sounds London-ish, but maybe a slightly posher part. Okay. <laughs> Well, last one. This one from the newer era, so it might be a bit more difficult, depending. Yeah, well, I don't need your warning, thank you very much. It's a Liverpudlian accent, a Scouser accent again, and, um... Uh, can I have a bit more? Do you mind getting out of my life? Stalking's a criminal offence, you know? She was probably in Hollyoaks or Brookside or one of the other Liverpool-based soaps. Probably. Um, not, I'm not going to get the name, but it's a Liverpool accent. And it, I did notice, I was watching some of the more recent episodes, there are a lot more of them in um, 
more recent years, the uh, scouses in the bill didn't used to have that many. Suddenly you got old mate, the, the angry one, and her. It was like, oh my God, this station's being overrun with Liverpudlians. Interesting. And I guess that's more when it became the soap. So I wonder if that... Yeah, there may have been a um, crossover of characters and actors that had been have come up through the soaps as well. And to probably give it a more accurate reflection of modern police force in the Metropolitan Police. Mm in terms of ethnicities and different accents and from across the country there's no reason why they all had to be a police um, unit full of cockneys. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> mm, what was that? What, what was that was PC Cass Rickman. Ah. What do you think of when, you, when someone says the words the bill, what comes to mind? Ah, the original open, opening titles come to mind. The cobbled streets, the wet cobbled streets, because they're always wet, because it's always raining. Mm. Uh, and the um, two uh, coppers walking in tandem down that London cobbled street. And I remember those original sort of opening titles. That's what the build means to me. Those end credits. Da -dun, da -dun, dun. Totally. Such an epic theme tune as well. I think that theme tune is so defining to my childhood. Dry, and you'd use it as a, um, a bit of a prompter. You go to, go to the kitchen, get a cup of tea or something. Had to have a cup of tea, of course, being English. Um, hearing that those beats would mean, I've got to get back into the lounge room to watch, um, watch the episode. Very unique, sticking to the theme tune for a while, because it was such a catchy theme. I think it was probably one of the most remixed themes ever in the world, just because the show ran for so long. They had... they remixed it every couple of years so you go online and there's like there's a jazz remix there's a techno remix there's a dance remix there's a grunge remix it's very very entertaining to look at that it's so true and i didn't know until i started doing my research but apparently in 2008 2009 before it wrapped up and went off air they dropped that theme tune which is just a crime oh, in itself warren i do not understand some tv executives you've got the most memorable theme tune in all of England, so memorable in Australia as well, and they decide to can it. Yeah. It was a travesty for Bill I couldn't tell fans. you what the new one sounded like or whether no. it was any good. It's, no. um, that was a travesty, really. Let's yeah. not dwell on that because I'll just get very angry. <laughs> <laughs> but it was also a very unique show stylistically, The Bill, because it was one, we, ha we talked about that epic theme music, but it's interesting because The Bill, apart from that, it didn't actually have any music used in the show. It was all just the ambience, um, voices, nothing, no background music at all, except for the later years when they brought it in, I think, for the final year. But I don't count that last season as mm. proper the bill. Um, so Very good um, observation. I have mm. never picked that up. The drama had to come through in other ways. That's interesting. Exactly right. And the, it was all shaky cam. There was barely any personal drama of the characters in those early years. It was a very unique show. And also the fact that... It, it was originally that you had the one-hour episodes, but then you had, I think it was thrice-weekly half-hour episodes, but each of them was self-contained. Yes. Which, again... I have to say, I remember, I was, for me, uh, my sort of golden era of bill-watching was when it was Tuesdays and Thursdays in the UK, 7.30, I still remember. Um, twice a week was enough to get your fix. <laughs> when it became three nights a week, that was a bit harder of a commitment, but as you say, to be able to dip in and out of it was good because they were self-contained stories, but yeah, three nights a week was a struggle, particularly I think one was on a Friday, if I remember rightly. Oh, and you've been partying out on the town, no That's doubt. That's right, I was <laughs> in my twenties, right? <laughs> in your prime. <laughs> yeah. If, if there was another thing that reminds me of the bill more than the, the, the beats and the, the cobbled streets, it would be st um, Stamp and... Um, uh, her name escapes me. June Ackland. Thank you. Yeah, it, if there's one thing that um, would um, instantly remind me of the bill, it's that shot of, of June Ackland and, and Tony Stamp uh, in the car speeding towards you. 
There you go. Well, fun fact, one of our friends who was actually on Undertelly a few weeks ago, John Turnbull, he, the place he lived in in England is actually um, one of the buildings that the police car drives past in the opening. Ah, I've got a little bit of a claim to fame in that respect, actually. Um, I went to university in London, in East London, and a lot of the scenes were filmed around Docklands um, in that part of London. And I often remember uh, I was at um, Uni Media Studies and, and Communications when we were producing short films or documentaries, we'd often head around the local streets to film. And I remember people spotting streets that they had seen on the bill. So uh, I know that it moved over into South London and, and North London, I believe, later. But um, in the early days, in the old days of what the Docklands used to look like before the gleaming spires and towers were created, wow. were, were built, um, it was still quite grungy and had that, you know, you're looking for a, an abandoned warehouse or a, um, a gravel road or a cobbled street and you don't need to worry about locking off streets and getting film permits. East London was perfect for all of that because most people wouldn't go there. <laughs> wow, and I guess mm. yes, because the <coughs> abandoned warehouses, industrial estates, housing estates, the Jasmine Allen, all hallmarks <laughs> of the bill. Absolutely, yeah, that's East, that's East London and old school East London. There's still pockets of it there. I remember when my parents dropped me off, um, to um, they drove me up to drop me off to start university in my halls of residence, and I'm not joking. They both had tears in their eyes, and I don't think it was just because they were going to miss me. I think it was um, pretty rough around there in those days. It oh. was, um, yeah. Well, if it's anything like it is in the bill. Oh, exactly like that, yeah. <laughs> How did you feel about the image of England and English people that the show portrayed to an international audience? Was it accurate? I think some of it was accurate. It's not the best um, the best portrayal of England. I guess, you know, it's set in, in uh, urban parts of London. They're only chasing the bad people. There's not many good people. Um, it's kind of interesting. I think it was fairly accurate in terms of um, policing back in those days. They'd carry the ladies would carry handbags, and the guys mm. would have a little truncheon that they could chase you with and hit you if you were lucky to get close <laughs> enough. Driving around in Austin Metro cars that only had four gears and you know probably couldn't get above 80 miles an hour. Um, I know because I used to have one. Um, their oh, little wow. panda cars. Really? Yeah, the panda cars. Well, they were just their sort of regulation issue government cars. And so I had one that was a former midwife's car. And I think wow. all government departments were issued those. And they, had, they were in Austin. They were a, um, a British manufacturer at the time. So I think that's why they used them. But they were terrible cars. They're not high performance, probably run faster than most oh, of boy. them. You know, shocking little bean cans to drive around. But, um, <laughs> Yeah. You didn't get a chance to upgrade to an area car worthy vehicle, <laughs> no. Sierra One as they call That's it. That's right, yeah, you need an area car. <laughs> it's very no a very no notable thing about the bill as well is that a lot of, uh, which is different for people watching from an international audience, is that of course the police didn't carry guns. So generally when you watch the bill, the most action you see is a bit of light running, a few oys <laughs> and things like that as they chase someone, car <clears throat> the occasional car chase, but that's another interesting fact. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously. Um, Sadly, times have changed, and I think a lot more police carrying guns. Um, I do believe most of the um, police in the UK still don't carry guns, and there's only SO19, the, oh, I think they're called CO19 now, are the specialist firearms unit. You're there with your taser, which is probably the most sort of um, active piece of um, um, weaponry that they're carrying. If there's a guy with a gun, you've got to call to bring in the, the tactical arm, arms unit. So um, even with the, the, the terrorism having gone through the roof in, in London and the UK, um, yeah, there still are those specialist teams and the police 
force there stu still do pride themselves on on not carrying guns as a um, as a rule, um, which is an interesting interesting scenario, really. Do they call them the Trojan unit in the bill sometimes when they call them in, the ones that have the guns? Ah, I'm not sure. I've not heard of that term. Because I remember them saying SO-19 and CO-19 and things like that. Yeah, um, Specialist Operations 19, oh. it was called. Uh, Very good. And now it's Central Operations Firearms Unit. Yeah, the Central Operations Unit. And I guess to your point, that's another very interesting thing about the bill. Just because it ran for almost 30 years, as we've done for this podcast, I know we've revisited several episodes which we're about to discuss through the various eras of the bill. Not all of them, because there's just so much. Mm. But you can really see how England society in general has kind of changed over that time as the show has, and the show has changed to evolve with that. It's true. I think a lot, the great thing about the show, it not only did it evolve in terms of its the production and the, the, the values of the production and the stars of the production, but the storylines and the themes and the topics that they covered, absolutely, it was a reflection of society at the time. And I, you know, without jumping ahead too far, I do wonder what would the bill be like today if it was, I mean, there's, it's ripe for um, so many storylines, right, and dramatic storylines and the police are having to deal with, um, with terrorism and things um, so unlike back in the 90s or the early 2000s around terrorism. Obviously, terrorism has always been a piece um, on the streets of London for a long time with the IRA, um, but they, um, for want of a better expression, they were kind of more polite terrorists. They would call ahead and say, hey, here's a code word, the bomb's under the car in blah, blah street, and give everybody time to evacuate. Wow. Um, and I, I, I've been in my time in London, I've heard an IRA bomb at Canary Wharf in the 90s. And then also when I lived in Ealing in West London, um, a bomb exploded outside the station there and I heard the noise and went, I know what that is. So I drove up there in my, um, or rode up there on my push bike with my video camera and shot the footage of this aftermath of this bomb. Nobody was killed, thankfully, or even injured, I don't think. Um, but then I sold that to Sky News and wow. made a bit of money off that one. And then the fire brigade wanted to buy it as a training video because it had shots of the fire brigade how to respond to a bomb. So it was a nice little earner, as they say, for a little while. It's an amazing <laughs> story, Warren. Yeah, um, but um, where was I going with that? Um, I think t nowadays, if the bill was still on air, the storylines are just unprecedented, the, the sort of um, the, the things that the police have to deal with nowadays. They're sort of much closer to being army units, I would say, in terms of their body armor and the, the, um, the tactics they learn and the training they, they receive. It's just a very different world. Surely it's a matter of time before it comes back. We hope, right? You can only live and dream, you never know. It's got to. <laughs> <laughs> I've got my fingers crossed. Yeah. So Warren, we had plenty of homework to do ahead of um, this recording. We watched several episodes. Given the sheer number of episodes, we skipped forward a few years and we started in 1993 when we went on our Bill Revisit. Mm. The first episode we, re we watched was called Punch Drunk and it's from 1993 and this episode sees the uniform team attend to an assault at a pub only to realise that the perpetrator is none other than DS Ted Roach. What I want you to do, Tony, is to go away and pretend you've never seen me, okay? Uniform and CID then butt heads as they try to save Ted's career. Meaning you don't care whether he gets his legs done or not? Meaning I'll do what I can. Like there's nothing on paper so far. Well, that's all but don't right. try to lean on me, Frank. The person you should have lent on was Ted Roach, hard, a long time ago. But Ted's ego gets the better of him and he punches Inspector Munro. Are you on self-destruct or what? What were your thoughts on this episode, Was? Ah, <laughs> oh, it was fantastic. It's, um, this particular episode really harks back to that, um, those characters that were kind of on the wrong side of the law almost in their, in their role as a police officer. Um, and Roach was the less 
uh, bad cop compared to Burnside, I think, but there was a real Burnside-Roach um, battle, uh, and that came through really clearly. Um, and also that whole thing, I, it was sort of ta his tackling issues around class as well, in that he was punching Monroe and they never saw eye to eye, and they were clearly from different sides of the tracks. That's what I thought was really fascinating. Also that they had their vices, be it drink, be it gambling, yes. both those two guys both had their own vices and things they were sort of dealing with, their demons. And as I think I mentioned before, both of the characters were inspired by previous detectives and um, with their long raincoats on, I think they, yes. they were really <laughs> harking back to that, those inspirations. Um, yeah, uh, very interesting episode, I thought, and that, that sort of those enemies that they had longer term as well between Monroe and Roach, it was just interesting to see that come to a head. I think you're so right in your observations that it was kind of like, I thought it was kind of like watching an episode of Downton Abbey set in a police station with the whole upstairs, downstairs thing, the whole uniform versus CID, the old school policing versus the new school policing, which they address quite heavily. That's right. It was almost harking back to a time when, when there were the older uh, generation of police officers could have perhaps got away with a few more things um, that were uh, on the wrong side of the law than, than the new wave of police officers, being a lot more accountable and not using as much force. Yes. And, you know, um, yeah, interesting. <laughs> and there were lots of other, which you kind of touched on earlier, for example, the police women were still referred to as WPCs, so women, woman police constable. They still wore skirts, they had handbags, the uniform was also way more formal and less military-like. And the police, for example, Roach, and probably all of them had whiskey in their drawers still. Yes. But they always used to pull out at the end of the episode and have a glass. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. Very different times, I think. A whiskey in your desk drawer, nothing wrong with that, right? And Absolutely nothing. As long as you got nothing. the job done at the end of the day. <laughs> There were things in that particular episode just noting, and I don't even know if they still wear them in active when they're on duty, the ridiculously large, um, tall hats that the police wear. And every time they had to chase somebody, they carry this heavy, great thing around with them that was so impractical. And it stems back from way back, the turn of the last century when policing was first introduced, that they wore these hats to gain that extra bit of height to sort of give a bit more authority to members mm. of the public. Um, and again, I think there were height, there used to be height restrictions on, on people that you could enter the police force. Um, so there's this whole thing around authority and that extra, whatever it is, four inches that that hat would give you. It's just um, wow. crazy. That's so interesting, because if you think about it to that old uniform, you had that hat, the police women wore skirts, they had the they had handbags, and then both <laughs> the men and the women had the, the batons that they had. So they'd be running around holding all these different things. It's very impractical. Absolutely, and the truncheons back then were made of um, timber, made of wood. Wow. They've just uh, whacked me with your truncheons. How, how classy, <laughs> how very English. Yeah. It's just, rich um, mahogany. <laughs> that's right. Oh, the, the extendable batons didn't come out until later. Oh, here's, um, here's a bill quiz for you. What, what's the term they use for extendable batons? Uh, no, don't know it. An asp. Oh, why mm. asp? I don't know. It's, um, <clears throat> I thought it was an acronym, but I don't think it is because in the there's a Bill Wiki page where it has all the definitions and it says ASP extendable bat button. There you go. So Did not hmm. know that. That gives you a little bit, at least, that, and that would fit in the handbag, right? Exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> 
And also this episode, I think another great thing about it is obviously Roach is fantastic, but also Burnside, he has all the best lines. I'll tell you what I think, Ted, I think it's a load of cobblers. And I'll tell you something else, I'm getting a bit hacked off with having to duck and dive to pull your conkers out of the fire all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so that was interesting, I was doing some research on Roach and apparently he was in the series from 1984 to 1993. But he returned again in 2000 to 2004. I will need to double check. I think he mm. returned for a guest appearance. But then I think in 2004, mm. they had an episode where Jack Meadows goes to a country town or something like that to investigate Roach's death. And right. it's a bit of a reunion special where it's Roach reuniting with um, Sergeant Alec Peters, okay. Larry Dan, and also Bob Cryer, yep. um, who had re retired three years ago after having been shot. Um, and they kind of investigate Roach's death. Right. Mm. Burnside also definitely came back because he came back in, before the spin-off, he came back in, I think, 1998, 1999, a few times. Right. Because he mysteriously, when he, he didn't really have a proper exit, he mysteriously disappeared in 1993. Ah. Which was a bit, bit of a um, loss for the bill because they lost Roach and Martella and Burnside in 1993, three very classic characters and very strong characters. Yeah, wow. So that was Punch Drunk, another fantastic episode of The Bill. And staying in 1993, the next one we watched was called The Short Straw. So this is a pretty pivotal episode of The Bill, Warren, and I think I mentioned before the pod to you that this was actually The Bill's highest ever rating episode. 17.5 million viewers watched it, which is insane. That's almost the entire population of Australia. So what happens? The episode begins with Viv Martella, uh, WDC Viv Martella, missing a briefing for an obo to catch a group of suspected armed robbers and she's taken off the case by Burnside. Trevor's taking your place. He managed to make it to the briefing. Yeah, well, you wouldn't want a woman spoiling your jolly boy's outing anyway, would you? Furious, she pursues her own lead into a series of bag snatchings with Tony Stamp, only to come face to face with the chief armed robbery suspect, and things don't go very well. See, I was from 595. Viv's been shot. This was a jam-packed episode, wasn't it, Warren? Absolutely, yeah. Um, awesome episode. Um, I thought production values in this particular episode were amazing for the time when you think it was in the time before drones and GoPro cameras and, and uh, you know, the, to capture some of those ca um, the car chase scenes and the helicopter scenes would have a lot, been a lot more technically challenging and actually a lot more expensive to, for a drama to deliver that sort of quality. Um, so that so car chase was just incredible like even by today's standards it's it was with the police cars with the cars ramming each other the helicopter shots you're so right it was fantastic yeah absolutely for 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 um a drama of those um from those that those times to recreate that stuff would have been pretty um challenging technically in production wise. um interestingly when the car chase comes to a dramatic end um, Ackland calls um, over the um, radio. Sierra Oscar from Sierra One, Faytac, Tello Street. And I'm like, hmm, I've got to see what that is now. I don't know. Little quiz for you. Do you know what Faytac is? So when I first saw that episode, I was like, what does that mean? Fatal accident. Yeah, that's the it's call sign for a fatal accident. Quite dramatic because they. Absolutely. Interesting, obviously start the series, episode started with um, a uh, handbag robbery. And I just think looking at that comparatively to nowadays, police are dealing with acid attacks, you know, people being thrown acid at them by passing people on mopeds. It's just a very different world we live in now. Because I guess the bill, looking back at those older days, it was very, it, it's interesting they could make such a compelling show out of such mundane crimes. It was always a bag snatching or a elderly person um, having a dispute with a neighbour or something like that, but yet 
they made it so compelling somehow, maybe because it was so realistic and because the characters and the acting was so good. But if you had pitched that to pitched that to me, I don't know if I would have actually been that compelled. It's so true. It's so true. And I know that uh, when you listen to um, I've listened to interviews with some of the older cast members, they do mention how they used to start churning through the production of these pieces and they became more fast-paced in terms of the cut, but in terms of the storylines, in terms of the action, and it lost a lot of that depth, I think. At least it had a rich fabric with the, um, the characters and the storylines, I think, before. And more about the politics of policing and things yeah, like that. Yeah, that's right, that's right. But it was such an action-packed episode. I think with those half-hour episodes, it was so interesting because nowadays, if it's a half-hour show, it's generally quite continuing, but they wrap the story up in half an hour. And yeah. this half-hour I found very fast-paced. Yes, I think because also what they did really well was uh, you're almost having a tale of two stories. So at any given time, we were following Viv and the story that this was building up to, uh, as well as these other pieces that were plugging into that main story. So it was never just um, a singular character or a singular story. There was always a couple of different things happening. How did you find, because this was obviously a very dramatic episode in the sense that Viv Martella was killed, an iconic character, they really got on with it in those old days. There was no overly emotional montage or anything. They really just got on with the job after she died. There was some emotion, obviously, because it's a traumatic event, but they didn't labour on it. It was a very professional kind of show in that sense. Yeah, I agree. I do think they um, they did tackle the issue of how do police, ambulance staff, doctors, anybody on the front line... Um, in the emergency services, how they have to cope with that stuff and and carry on the next day. If you remember, there was a moment when Carver kind of, he was sick and, and he obviously trying to deal with that. Tony Stamp was upset. Um, a few people were devastated, but you're right, cut to the next morning and everybody was sort of obviously affected by it and trying to get on with the job, pulling people in, arresting them, et cetera, et cetera. But um, it definitely affected the station and I think they acknowledged that. They did it well in that they had a job to do and continued, but acknowledge that it affected them. And of course, Burnside had an interesting take on everything. It makes me sick. What? The sympathy junkies. It's all show, Jack. They're not sorry for Martella, they're sorry for themselves. Behind all that hand-wringing, they're all saying, thank God it wasn't me. I did have to do a bit of research on Viv, and um, apparently during her um, time on the bill, I didn't know this, she was propositioned by Roach by Burnside, and even Roach Hollis uh, made a move on her. In, in the show? Yes. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, We're yeah. not talking about Offset. <laughs> no, no, the character, the character. <laughs> interesting. Quite interesting. Interesting. Yeah, she was kind of, um, obviously... <laughs> and to your point, Warren, I guess, because the episode really tackled the sexism in the workplace in 1993, because obviously it starts off with her being taken off the case because her car breaks down, she misses the briefing, and there's all those dis chats with her in June about how if that had happened to anyone else, any of the boys, they wouldn't have had, had, they wouldn't have had the same repercussions as she was handed down by Burnside. Yeah, absolutely, yes, that's right. I think I mentioned to you before... When I went back and I was watching some of the original episodes from 1984, the sexism and misogyny was even more evident back then, the, regardless of the handbag and the impracticalities of having to carry these things around. I remember there were scenes where the male officers were openly kind of checking out the female officers in, and there were shots of, you know, panning across um, one of the WPC's legs or whatever. It was kind of... Um, just very different, different um, approach. <laughs> that's one thing that changed for the better over the 30 years of the bill, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. Well, that was a great episode, The Short Straw Warren. Mm. Now it's time to skip forward to the year 2000 as the bill entered a 
very different era, which of course started in 1998 with a remixed, much jazzier theme tune. Next time on Undertelly, we take a look back at some of the Bill's most controversial storylines. Just felt so wrong. Yeah, it didn't look right, and I don't think it looked, I don't think it probably felt right to the actors either. She says, I love you, and it's almost weird hearing the words, I love you, uttered in the Bill. And Christmas Comes Early as Warren and I surprise each other with some Bill-related gifts. So, uh, Thank yeah. you so much, boys. No worries. This is exciting. Oh, well, look, this is like Christmas, Alec. I've got <laughs> something for you, too. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it's not what? much. But I thought... You're kidding um, me. That's all coming up in part two of Undertelly's The Bill Special. You're listening to Undertelly with Oleg Novak, Mount Cola's fastest-growing Aussie TV podcast. <laughs>